0: Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson.
1: Hi, I'm Addie Anderson and I want to welcome you to Let's Talk about Grief. This is where we gather each week to talk about all things related to grief, death, and dying. Our topic today is Hospice 101, and my guest is Tony Sanders. Antoinette Tony Sanders has worked in hospice for over a decade. Currently she is a bereavement and volunteer coordinator at Compassus Hospice and Palliative Care. Additionally, she is a certified grief counselor and conducts trainings for staff development at Cherokee Children's Home, which is an agency for children who were abused and neglected. Tony has been an adjunct professor at Limestone College, and for 13 years, she served as a therapeutic foster parent to over 13 children. She received a master's degree in social work at the University of South Carolina, Tony is the visionary of Boot Camp for the Mind, My Image Not Destroyed, LLC. Boot Camp is a free, monthly, interactive seminar designed to inform, educate, and empower. Its focus is on the mind and how our thoughts affect every area of our lives. When she's not working, she enjoys what she calls her favorite contact sport, shopping. <laughs> She also spends time writing, dancing, listening to music, and educating the community about life. Tony is a free spirit and enjoys nothing more than laughing and spending time with family. Thanks, Tony, and welcome to the show. Tony, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Welcome to the show. Okay. It, I, it is a pleasure to have you here.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be your (laughs) guest.
1: And I see here that you are a free spirit, right? And that uh, you enjoy laughing and uh, is a kind of fun and outgoing person. You know, I know that to be true. But I'm imagining, though, that when people think about someone working in this field, they might not think of someone who is free-spirited and outgoing, as you are described. So let's just kind of start there, and let us know why you chose to become a social worker and work in the field of hospice. Um, Well, that is a very
2: interesting question, and one that I get asked all the time. Uh, Most of the time, people would expect that I would be a little more grim and Mm -hmm. dull and not enjoy life as much as I do because I do work with um, individuals who have terminal illnesses and then their family members after their death. So I will say that I really did not choose social work and hospice, that they both chose me. I have always loved helping other people, and it has always been um, something that breaks my heart to see someone else is heartbroken. And mm-hmm. because of that, I think that that is what led me into this particular area of social work, but definitely not in the field of hospice. Mm-hmm. My information and education with hospice was very limited. I only saw hospice
1: as a place that people went to die, Mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah, and I think most people think of hospice like that, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have someone on the show to talk about hospice so we could get more educated about it, you know, me included. So why don't you tell us, you know, because we hear the terms hospice and palliative care. I hear hospice- a lot more than palliative care. That seems to be a term that has come to the forefront recently for me, although I'm sure it's been around a long time. But kind of explain those terms to us so that people will understand what we're talking about.
2: Absolutely. And those terms, unfortunately, have been used interchangeably at times. And so, therefore, there's been a lot of confusion about um hospice, and palliative care, and you see they're used in conjunction with one mm-hmm. another. <clears throat> the difference is that palliative care um, begins at diagnosis. That mm-hmm. means that a person can be diagnosed with um, COPD
3: mm-hmm. or, you
2: know, um, AIDS or any, any other life-threatening illness, but they can receive aggressive, and life-sustaining treatment at the time of their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And there is no prognosis uh, that, is, that goes along with that. The difference between a diagnosis and the prognosis is the diagnosis is the name of the disease.
3: Mm-hmm. The
2: prognosis is how long a physician believes a person can live with that disease.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: you can have a diagnosis of lung cancer, but your prognosis could be five years. Mm-hmm. And with hospice, once at all treatment, aggressive treatment has been exhausted, and the belief in the medical community is that this person is not going to survive this disease, and their belief is that this person will not survive longer than six months, then they would be eligible for hospice services. So palliative Uh, care can begin years, years mm -hmm. before um, a person is actually on the track for hospice, which is more concerned about end-of-life care.
1: Yeah, so thanks for clarifying that. You know, I think the way you described it helped me to definitely understand it better, because now what I'm hearing you say is that palliative care comes before hospice. And hospice, yes. and hospice is kind of, I guess, uh, considered for a person or a patient once the medical community has said, you know what, there's not much more we can do, and that person will start to receive hospice care.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, Both focus on the comfort of the person mm-hmm. to make um, however long they have left here on this earth the best that it can be.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Hi, and however, you know, with the palliative care, there is the aggressive side of things.
1: Right. Okay. So tell us, uh, what are some of the benefits of hospice care? Like, why would anyone, you know, want to even do it? Because I don't think everyone who probably gets to a point to where their illness, is, illness may not, you know, might where they're at the end of their life everyone does not necessarily receive hospice care, right? But what would be some of the benefits of someone getting hospice care?
2: Okay, and you're right. Um, unfortunately, not as many people who could benefit from hospice actually take advantage of the service, and that's what a lot has to do with our belief and that myth, that belief that uh, hospice only helps a person die, but hospice helps a person live their best life of the most quality until they die and what happens with hospice is that you get a team of medical care professionals who are there to attend to every physical emotional and spiritual need so it eradicates or removes the need to go back and forth to the doctor because Addie, if you've ever been sick you know going and sitting in a doctor's office for countless hours waiting Mm -hmm. to be called from the waiting room only to be seen by the physician for about five minutes
3: and Mm -hmm. then take
2: your trip back home. That's not always the best, especially when you're not feeling well. Mm
3: -hmm. Well,
2: we make house calls, and that is one of the great benefits to hospice is that every team member from the nurse to the social worker to the chaplain to the CNA or PCT to volunteers Actually, go into the living quarters of our patients.
3: Mm, mm-hmm. So
2: it is a holistic approach that comes mm-hmm. to you.
1: And has that always been the case, Tony? Like, ha- I, and and what I mean by that is, have we always been able to receive the care in our natural setting? Or because I I kind of feel like I remember can think of it as people having to go to a facility (laughs) to get this care, but has it always been an option to have it provided for you at your home? Yes.
2: Yes. And hospice has been around, oh my gosh, 13th century. We're looking at um, New England and we're looking at some of the, you know, uh, Renaissance areas. And back then, it was dedicated to um, traveling indigent folks. Indigent meaning they had no way to pay for medical care, and that extends into today. So what happened Mm -hmm. is there were hospitals and facilities that were designed to care for those Mm -hmm. who were traveling, you know, um, those sick folks. But hospice has always gone into that person's environment, and it has always been available uh, in that fashion.
1: Okay. Okay. So what about, um, like, is there like a particular length of time, let's just say that a doctor thinks someone has to live before they would consider hospice? I I guess another question, another way for me to ask that is can a person receive hospice longer than six months? Or is it generally prescribed when someone has six months or less to live?
2: Okay. Um, And the best way for me to answer that question is by saying this. When a physician looks at all of a person's medical records, Mm -hmm. their uh, x-rays, the trajectory of their disease process, when that Mm -hmm. physician sees that and says, you know what, I would not be surprised, given this person's history and their disease and the progression of this disease, that they would pass away in six months or less. Mm -hmm. Now, me having said that, although six months or less is the precursor or the prerequisite for um, admission to hospice services, a person can live longer than six months on hospice.
3: Mm -hmm. What
2: has to take place is the uh, documentation, what the nurses, what the interdisciplinary team sees and notices about a person's decline. So let's say that uh, Mrs. Smith has been on our services for five months and 30 days. And Mm -hmm. uh uh-oh, tomorrow is the six-month mark. If she doesn't pass away, will we have to discharge her from services? Not necessarily. As long as she is experiencing a decline. And that could be um, she's more confused. That could mm-hmm. be her appetite has decreased. She is losing weight. Um, she is having less uh, output. She mm-hmm. is sleeping more um you know withdrawing more and we notice all of these um changes from visit to visit so our nurses typically are going out you know three to four times a week so he or she is seeing those changes
3: Uh, the Mm -hmm. social
2: workers and the rest of the interdisciplinary team they're seeing the changes that are occurring with mrs smith so therefore when we document you know last week she weighed one hundred and ten pounds, and this week she weighs one hundred and five pounds. That mm-hmm. means that she continues to meet eligibility and can stay on past six months.
1: I see, I see. and and those um, those things that you just described, right? Like the signs that you look for in the patients to kind of track their decline, are those signs that a person is dying? You know, like, what are the signs? What are you looking for to to know that this person receiving this service is on track to die soon?
2: Very good question, Addy. Um, and sometimes it can be a little uh, tricky because everybody is not the same, you know, and hospice care is individualized. So uh, whereas it may be the baseline for someone else, a patient to sleep, 12 to 16 hours a day, it is an unusual thing for Mrs. Smith to sleep that long. So Mm -hmm. we would be looking at um, intake, you know, how much are they eating or are they taking in in terms of fluid. Uh, An average person can live 7 to 14 days without food um, and less than that without water
3: or Mm -hmm. hydration.
2: So we're looking at the intake of a person in terms of food and water or beverages or hydration. We are mm-hmm. looking at um, output. Certainly, if you're not taking anything in, you're not going to be putting anything out. Uh, certainly, we take the vital signs. We're listening to heartbeat. We're listening to respirations and breathing. We are looking at the coloration of a person's skin. We mm-hmm. look at the alertness of the person. We look at whether or not they are able to get up on their own and walk around or whether they're bed bound. Um, We're looking at temperature, because when a person is dying, a lot of times, their temperature spikes and they run a fever. Mm. Uh, We also look at the pain scale, if they are restless, if they can't um, get calm, if they are having shortness of breath and labored breathing, then we take all of those things into consideration
1: to determine whether or not this person is actively dying mm, okay okay and so can a person be physically ready for hospice meaning you know talking about you know all the physical symptoms and things that they're experiencing but not be mentally and emotionally ready yes yes what does that Sometimes look like
2: the body I'm sorry
1: no what does it look like when they're not mentally and it Or emotionally ready?
2: Um, What that looks like is that patient saying, um, I want to live to see my kids graduate from high school, and high school is two or three years later. Or they say they want to uh, get aggressive treatment. Or um, they're saying, I'm going to live until I'm 95 years old and they're 90. So that,
3: mm-hmm. all of those
2: messages communicate to us that they are really not emotionally and mentally ready for hospice, although their physical bodies may be screaming to us that they are ready. Hmm. And we do and not it... force a person to receive hospice services if they are not emotionally and mentally ready. We provide education
1: for them but we support whatever their goals are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So it sounds like then if they're not at that point to where, where they're emotionally or mentally ready, then you just kind of go in a different direction um, with them. And that is to provide the education. So thanks for that. We're coming yeah. up on our first break. Uh, we're with Tony Sanders. She's talking to us about hospice. When we come back from the break, I want to start talking about, um, you know, like advanced directives and wills and those types of things that we all need to know about when we're talking and thinking about end of life challenges. So thanks, Tony, and we'll be right back after the break.
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief.
1: Welcome back. We're here with Tony Sanders. And at the end of the break before we were talking about how uh, some people are not mentally or emotionally ready uh, for hospice. And now we're going to transition into talking about some of those myths that are out there about hospice dying and as well as advanced directives. Can you let us know what some of those are, Tony? Okay. Yes, I sure can. One of the... uh I guess
2: one of the greatest myths that we have to combat is that hospice does nothing for a person except um, let them die. And as we discussed in the first segment, that is absolutely false because we provide a team of folks, professional folks who go out and provide the best professional care and help that person live their best life until they die. And you know, hospice is a free, and I want to reiterate that, that it is a free service under Medicare. So if a person is 65 or older or if they've been disabled for two years and they are now eligible for Medicare, they can receive hospice services at no additional charge. So that means they're not going to get a bill from the nurse, from the social worker. They're not going to be billed for their medications related to their terminal diagnoses. They're not going to be billed for their... um, Durable medical equipment, such as a hospital bed or a bedside commode or a shower chair, all of that is billed directly to hospice through Medicare. And a lot of people are not aware of that as well in terms of myths. And then Mm -hmm. another great myth that we are um, under the impression of is the advanced directives. The, mm-hmm. the living wills, the healthcare power of attorneys, the power of attorneys, a lot of people feel like if I fill those documents out, then I am going to die tomorrow, or I no longer have a say-so in my
1: life. I'm just giving that power to someone else, and that is mm-hmm. not true. Okay, and, and so is a will and a living will the same thing? They absolutely are not.
2: The living will is solely based on a person's desire for medical care. What would you want in the event that you are no longer able to make your own health care decisions? And that could be because of a traumatic brain injury. That could be because of unconsciousness. That could be because of an altered state due to medication uh, being in a coma,
3: all mm-hmm. of that
2: um, are the requ- requisites for a living will. But as long as that person is in their right mind, they make all of their own decisions. The living will is only evoked in the event that a person is not. And in that living will, a person can state, I don't want um, artificial hydration. I do not want a, a, a um, a peg feeding or, you know, the feeding through your stomach or inchy through the nose. I just want to allow a natural death. That is the living will. Mm
3: -hmm. Now,
2: a will has to do solely with a person's assets. That -hmm. is when you say, I am of a sound mind and I want to leave my car, my house, my stocks and my bonds to my children,
1: to my spouse, to my niece. They -hmm. are not one in the same. Mm, okay. Totally get that. And so when would you recommend that people, you know, like, get a living will? Like, when, when should we start thinking about that?
2: I don't think that it's ever too soon to start thinking about that. Um, while you and I do not have a terminal diagnosis,
3: mm-hmm.
2: we are all subject to automobile accidents falling down the stairs, you know, most people die in in accidents at at home and things of that nature. So I think going ahead and at least thinking about what you would want in the event that your life feels no more meaningful for you, Mm
3: -hmm. and only an
2: individual person can define that for themselves. You know, some people say, hey, if I can't go fishing anymore, then that has decreased the meaningfulness of my life. But it's never too early to start thinking about having a living will. And you can change it at any time.
1: Okay. So it's something, yeah, that you, as your life changes and evolve, that you also might want to kind of review it, so that you can see if if what you had in it previously is still okay with you. And if not, you get the opportunity to kind of adjust it to the way you want it at that time. So what about advanced directive? Like, what is that as it relates to everything else we're talking about? Okay, advanced directives, believe it or not, are exactly what
2: they say. They are directives that you make in advance, prior to your death, prior to you being unable to make those decisions for yourself. So um, I'll give you a couple of examples. One is a healthcare power of attorney. Mm-hmm. The other was the living will that we discussed. And the difference between the living will and the healthcare power of attorney is that the living will is an individual's express desires for end of life care. A healthcare power of attorney is where you appoint someone to make those decisions for you in the event you can't make them for yourself.
3: hmm
2: And what needs to happen with that document, the healthcare power of attorney, is that whoever you appoint as your agent, you need to have a conversation with them, letting them know what you want so when and if that time comes, that person will have no qualms with following through on your request.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why it's important that you do these things when you have a sound mind, right? Because you won't be able to do it otherwise. And so, like, exactly. um, so, so what I'm hearing then is that a living will and a health power of attorneys, attorney, they're both advanced directives.
2: They are both advanced directives.
1: Yeah, I got you. Okay, and so do you need an attorney to prepare these documents, or is this something you can kind of go online and and figure out how to do yourself? What do you recommend?
2: With the living will and the healthcare power of attorney, you do not need an attorney. You will need a notary to witness um, your signature and the signatures of your two witnesses. Now, where I would. Um, advice getting an attorney is for a will, which Mm -hmm. is leaving all of your worldly goods to someone, and a power of attorney. A power of attorney gives someone financial access to all of your worldly goods. So let's say I became uh, incapacitated, Mm -hmm. and my mortgage, and my light bill, and my car payment, all of that is due. I'm in the hospital, and my kids need to make these payments for me. Well, they need Mm -hmm. to be able to access my funds and not go into their own. If I give my daughter a power of attorney, she can, in essence, write checks on my behalf. She can pay bills on my behalf because she has that power of attorney, a financial power of attorney document.
3: Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with money. Mm-hmm. And
2: assets, it's always a good idea to have an attorney involved in those aspects.
3: hmm
1: Okay, and so like, um, so the fact that people can pretty much do the living will as well as the advanced directive, I think, if I heard you correctly. No, the living will, I you said that you could potentially do that on your own, right? Yes. So yes. how I mean, how would I know what where to start? Like, how would I know what to put in there? <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like, yeah,
2: into your search engine,
1: okay, um, Google
2: or Chrome or Bing or whatever mm-hmm. um, internet service you choose. Just type in Living Will, and then you want to type in Living Will for your specific state,
3: because okay.
2: each one of them varies based on state laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Um, same with the health power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same with um, a DNR, which we haven't discussed as yet, but I'll, I'll go into that, And uh, or the A and D. DNR is do not resuscitate. A and D is allow a natural death. Um, but each is state-specific.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: So, make sure when you're doing that research that you know. And I will say this with your power of attorney or your healthcare power of attorney, especially the healthcare power of attorney, you're going to want to choose someone who lives in close proximity. Because if mm-hmm. you're appointing someone to make healthcare decisions for you and they live in another state, they're going to have to travel all the way from where they are to where mm-hmm. you are to make those decisions and whenever a person dies the health care power of attorney and the um financial power of attorney dies with that individual person.
3: Mm, okay.
2: So they are not they are they are no longer living active documents
1: once the person dies. Okay. Okay. Now I think you may have already answered what I was thinking about next to some degree cuz I'm wondering like what happens when someone dies without a will or any or any of the other uh advanced directives that you've talked about thus far what if if you don't have that then what if you don't things have those things it get very complicated
3: mm-hmm. because
2: what has to happen then is the doctors have to make a their best judgment call and discuss it with whatever family members are present, and those family members in that moment have to make those decisions, Um, a decision whether or not to place a person on life support or whether to take them off of life support. They have to make the decision to um, do resuscitation, CPR, or to forego the CPR. So there are so many decisions that families have to make. and. Everybody is not always on the same page. All Mm -hmm. of the children are not always on the same page. Some children may want mama to live, so let's do everything that we can. While others are saying, mom has lived a great life. She would not want, you know, all of this Mm -hmm. stuff done to her. Mm -hmm. So then it's going to be, you know, as the clock ticks, mom's health continues to decline, and the doctors are waiting, and the medical bills are continuing to um, rise. So without Mm -hmm. those documents, you leave those decisions up to your family members who may or may not know what you want.
1: Yeah. And also, I would imagine, too, it can create a lot of chaos in the family. So, you you know, like you owe it to your family to take care of these things now and talk to them about it now and not put them in that position to where they have to make, you know, those hard decisions on the spot. You are absolutely correct. And mm-hmm. because
2: death and dying are taboo subjects, you know, we like those feel-good subjects of, you know, the Washington Wizards won, this, you know, championship or, you know, know. I'm going on vacation, I'm going to the beach, uh, all of those things that make us feel good. We're talking about death and dying doesn't make us feel good. But here's Mm -hmm. the thing, Addie, once you make all of those decisions, and you've talked about with your family, you don't have to have those conversations anymore.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. But you know, it's it's my hope that people will over time, just continue to kind of talk about it. Because even, you know, like if your parents go ahead and get all these things done and prepare, prepare you for their deaths, right, then hopefully yes. the children will learn from them, from that experience and also do the same for their offspring so that they are not having to kind of, you know, experience these things without some kind of direction from them.
2: Yes. And therefore, we will create a cycle of being prepared for mm-hmm. our death because we know that we're all going to die one day.
1: That's true. We know we're going to die. That There is no, <laughs> there is nothing we can do and say about that. But at the same time, we, we know that people are not doing this to the degree that they need to, especially Correct. those in the African-American community. So why is it that you think that that we don't have these advanced directives prepared for us?
2: There are a few reasons, and one is that there's still a distrust of the medical community Mm
3: -hmm. that
2: that rests in the African-American community. Um, Unfortunately, there is disparities, and unfortunately, you know, we don't have the same kind of health care coverage, if we have health care coverage at all, that our counterparts have. So we don't receive the same education, we don't receive the same treatment. And then uh, another thing is that we we just don't talk about it. Mm
3: -hmm. We don't
2: want to talk about it. I don't know if you've ever had or attempted to have a conversation with anyone in your family in the African American community, but I've heard this said several times. When I die, just throw me in the pine box and throw me in the backyard.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm.
2: it's not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get a permit to get buried in your backyard. And, okay. you know, your pine box has to have certain stats and, you know, it's got to be code <laughs> regulations. So, um, even with that, I can bury you in my backyard, but that's still going to cost. And there still has to be a plan for that to happen. Um, And I think that we just live in this myth that we're going to live until we're 80, 90, 100 years old and nothing catastrophic is going to happen to us, which we know that that is not true. We don't have life insurance, which is Mm -hmm. another huge barrier, not Mm. just health insurance, but life insurance. Mm. So when we don't have life insurance, you cannot. Well, you can, but it's unrealistic to want a traditional funeral and want all of these bells and whistles and nobody has the money for that to happen.
1: Mm, That's true. That's true. And it's almost like if, if we avoid the conversation, then Mm -hmm. it won't happen. You know, like, yeah, let's not talk about it because if we talk about it, then what we're saying is that we're acknowledging that it's possible and what we just said yes. already is that we all know we're going to die, so it's yeah. it. We have to kind of take these things seriously, just as serious as you take any other legal matter, right? And and Correct. prepare and prepare because it it definitely helps those who are left behind. Because most of the well, it's it's for you too because it you can kind of, um. Spell out how you want your health care to be provided when you're in that space and time, but also for those you're leaving behind. you know, you're you're it's a gift to them not to have yes. to be concerned and worried about um, navigating that part of the family's history when it comes to that time.
2: You are spot on. Yeah, and, you know, talking about it doesn't mean that it's going to happen today or tomorrow. Planning Mm -hmm. for it doesn't mean it's going to happen today or tomorrow or five years from now. But at least, as you said, we've made the plans because, you know, we have a family reunion every two years and Mm -hmm. we plan for it. Mm
3: -hmm. We start
2: thinking about the date. We start looking at places of where we want to go, the things that we want to do. That's Mm -hmm. two years, and we have no qualms about that. Or let's say we're going to take a fantastic trip to uh, to Italy. So you start saving your money today so that you'll have enough. You'll be prepared. You'll know a little bit of the language and know the sights that you want to see once you get there. Mm -hmm. None of us wait until the day to get on the plane to start packing and figuring out how we're going to come up with the money.
3: We already make
2: those plans. So it just makes natural sense to go ahead and make plans
1: today for what we know is going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense. So thanks for reiter- reiterating that, that point. Uh, we're about to take another break. We're with Tony Sanders. So come back and um, we'll talk about other things about hospice. Thanks for listening. Find out what makes
0: the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief.
1: We're still here We're still here talking with Tony Sanders about hospice and Let's just kind of talk about, uh, Tony, your life as a grief counselor, because it is one of those areas of practice that can be very challenging. And I would imagine that you have, like most of us, kind of seen some of the challenges that your clients face. And if that's the case, can you just kind of let us know what some of those might be?
2: Absolutely. I think one of the greatest challenges uh, for my clients in grief is, did they do enough? Did they make the right decision? You know, Mm -hmm. trying to turn back the hands of time and figure out a way that they could have avoided the outcome, which is the death of their loved one. And people really struggle. We really struggle with that. You know not just necessarily with the death but a lot of decisions that we make well we don't get the result of the outcome we'd hope for and the reality is that is the pendulum swings both ways and there is no way to guarantee an outcome based on any decision that we make especially when it comes to death and dying if A person is going to die, and it's their time. There's absolutely nothing that you could do. There's no amount of blood transfusion. There's no amount of time that you can have a person on life support. There's no amount of time, you know, to place them on hospice or palliative care. It really is moving in that direction of acceptance. And acceptance doesn't mean that I like it or that I agree with it, but it does give us a voice. It gives us an opportunity to open up and share our thoughts and our feelings and emotions so that we can process what has happened.
1: Yeah, I I totally get that. And so almost it's, it's helpful sometimes for family members to recognize when someone is ready. Like they're ready to yeah. go. They're ready to transition and could benefit from having people, you know, quote unquote, give them permission to just kind of go in peace. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you think about that, how can, how can family members help their loved one die? Is it possible okay. to help their loved one die peacefully?
2: It is possible to help a loved one die
1: peacefully,
2: and I think a big part of that is the semantics of how we are um, engaging that process. Are we looking at it as if the person is giving up, or are they letting go? And there is such a huge difference, because when a person is dying, as you said, they are ready to go. They are ready. They are not giving up. It's not that they're not fighting anymore. It is that they have come to a place where they accept the outcome. They have done Mm. everything that they could do to fight, and now it's time to put down their ammunition. Now it's time Mm. to put down arms and just allow the natural process to take place. So allowing a person to let go and not begging and and almost in a sense, forcing them to fight, don't leave me. So it takes a lot of moving ourselves out of the way. Mm-hmm. Selfish thinking, I want this person to stay here with me, although they are ready to go, although their bodies have been ravished with this disease and they are in pain and they have no quality of life.
3: Mm-hmm. So moving
2: to um, soft music, moving mm. towards holding a person's hand, Telling them mm-hmm. how much you love them and appreciate everything that they've done and letting them know that it is okay and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to miss you, but I'm going to be all right. You've equipped me to be mm. able to live the rest of my life until I see you again, if that is the belief.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know what it is, when you know, hearing you talk about it in that way, it's, it's, What came up for me is that to see that experience as part of the life cycle, just like babies are born, right? And we celebrate the birth of babies coming into the family. You know, the end of life is also a part of the life cycle. So even though, as you said, you know, it's not something that we want. We, We know that we will miss this person. It doesn't mean that we won't experience the pain of grief, you know, at the thought of letting go, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's having a different perspective on it and recognizing that it's something that we're not going to avoid, but how can we make this experience the best experience we can for the person who is dying as well as for those who are left behind?
2: Correct. That is correct. I was talking with uh, one of our clients
1: a uh, week before
2: last, and her statement to me is, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. She said, am I supposed to be living or am I supposed to be dying? And I looked mm-hmm. at her and I said, why do you have to choose? Why can't you live until you die?
3: Mm. Why can't they be
2: on the same track? Why do they have to be separate and opposite of one another? Because as you said, it is a continuous cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a part of the lifespan.
1: Mm -hmm. So as a professional, let me ask you this. Have you personally made funeral plans? And if so, what was that experience like for you? And do you already have advanced directives in place?
2: I have made funeral plans, and I get tickled when I think about it because when I actually sat down to make my funeral plans, I
3: choked. Not literally, (laughs) Mm -hmm.
2: but I stopped in my tracks because it became really real to me what I was doing. Mm. Um, As a professional caregiver, sometimes it's very difficult to take your own advice. And so Mm. it can be really easy to get caught up in this genre of this is my job, this is what I do, to encourage others to do these things. But when it came to me actually literally sitting down and doing it, it was hard. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, thinking about where do I want to be buried, what do I want to be buried in, what songs will I like, you know, Mm -hmm. for my funeral. I just could not go with it. I'm like, how old am I going to be when I die? But Mm -hmm. I went back to it because Mm -hmm. it's something that I know I needed to do. So I've Mm -hmm. actually selected cremation. Okay. um, And my reason is because, one, is less expensive, and I feel like... um, I don't want my family to have to travel to a burial site to visit me because, you know, we connect with our loved ones, you know, at the last place that they were, which Mm -hmm. is the cemetery. And I feel like I don't want them to have to do that. They could take... They do so many wonderful things with the ashes now. You can make necklaces and rings and put them on your mantle. So I Mm -hmm. feel like I would like my family to have a piece of me wherever they go. Mm. Whether or not they follow through. I'm not sure, but I do have that in place. Okay. And, and in terms and... of health uh, healthcare power of attorney, I do have a healthcare power of attorney. I do have a will mm-hmm. uh, where I'm leaving all of my earthly goods to, to different family members. And with my healthcare power of attorney, my husband is my agent and I need to put this out there. My oldest daughter and I discussed me putting her as my primary agent and my husband secondary only because of the emotions that would be t- attached and after mm-hmm. I had the conversation with her and she told me she wasn't going to do what she want what I wanted mm-hmm. I did not put her anywhere on my healthcare power of attorney because mm-hmm. she is not going to emotionally be able to do it so I have one of my colleagues who understands and gets into life and hospice, and she's a very trusted friend. She is my secondary to my husband.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, I have those also. I have a will. I have a living will. And, you know, I guess I don't know that I have a secondary. I do have a primary, which would be which is my husband, but I, I want to look at it again. I think after the discussion that we're having today, I'm going mm-hmm. to go back and look at uh, the paperwork that I have to make sure that I clearly understand what I've put out there for myself. And, you know, which we said earlier, it's, it's always a good idea to revisit these things. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it might be it might be your birthday every year or your birthday every other year that you say, okay, this is the time now I need to pull those papers out, read them again, make sure that they are still in line with my desires. And if not, you know, uh, go ahead and make those changes.
2: Absolutely. And that the recommendation is that we do it annually. You know, as you said earlier, as our lives change and we evolve, so do the lives of others. Some people pass away that you placed as uh, your health care power of attorney or as the person that you're leaving your wealth to or as the beneficiary of your life insurance policy. Maybe you've gotten divorced, you know, maybe you're remarried. Mm -hmm. And I cannot tell you, Addie, the number of times that a husband and wife are together for 30, 40, 50 years, husband still has his first wife as the beneficiary on his life insurance policy or as his health care power of attorney and the current wife has no rights or say so to the life insurance policy or to the uh,
1: health care of her spouse. That's not good. <laughs> no. It, that can it is create not. issues. And, and
2: legally, There's nothing that she can do. Yes. Because the legal documentation says the previous spouse.
1: Yes. I mean, what other reason do you need other than that? Especially if this is your, you know, if you've had multiple marriages. What other reason do you need other than that to follow what we just talked about in reviewing these documents on a frequent basis? Because... You know, you never know. Things do change. People change and our minds change sometimes just as frequently.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly maybe maybe you're no longer friends with that particular person. Or, you know, I've had a situation where the parent lost both of her children. And her children Mm -hmm. were the beneficiaries. The children were the decision makers and both of the children died. Now things get a lot more complicated
1: hmm. Yeah, because that is that is considered like deaths out of order, right? Like we don't expect that yes. we will bury our children. But when that does happen, you for sure need to go back in there and reevaluate and change those documents to reflect what's happening in the moment.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And that's another issue in Greece. Um, going back to the prior question when we started this segment is uh, death out of order
3: Mm
2: -hmm. that a a lot of parents they struggle they're not supposed to be burying their children their children are supposed to bury them and then faith gets involved and and so all of those questions about life and suffering and the meaning of it and why did this happen it starts to surface as that parent searches for the answer to the why and most times there is no answer to the why. It's learning yeah. how to live with that level of grief.
1: Absolutely. A, a lot of questions we have about death go unanswered. Because like you say, yes. there, there are no answers. It just is. Correct. And so we, we have to figure out how to move on. In spite of it. But I want to thank you, Tony. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I've learned so much about hospice and uh, legal wills and all those things that we need to know about death. So thanks for, thanks for being on the show. I want to thank everybody for listening. If you have a show idea or would like to be a guest on the show, Please email me at letstalkgrief at gmail.com or call 708-870-6255. Be sure and listen next week when my guest will be Cordelia Miller-Muhammad when she'll talk to us about loss in relationships. Thanks for listening and have a great week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week.